This is The Enthusiasts Guild, a place for conversations about wonderful and interesting things with the people who enjoy them. I'm Fletcher C. Finch. I'm Adam Zaremski. And our guest today is... Chris Kroka. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for joining us, Chris. So today we're going to be talking about Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm excited about this. Chris, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I like a lot of different, uh, I guess, nerdery would be a broad category, and that includes a lot of sci-fi properties. Mm-hmm. So Star Trek, Star Wars, Stargate, all the star programs, really. A lot, lot, lot of other areas. And uh, Star Trek TNG was kind of interesting because it was, I mean, it was a, a network show that really wasn't expected to succeed when it first started, but just how well it was, all the awards it got, what fact it went for seven seasons, spawned so many other Star Trek shows. It kind of really paved the way for a lot of networks and TV channels and TV shows to kind of explore that sci-fi area. And we got a, a lot of them later in the 90s and early 2000s. And not even, you know, spaceship type shows like Sliders, X-Files, kind of a lot of those shows might not have been around if Star Trek didn't succeed in the late 80s. So the next generation isn't the first Star Trek that appeared on TV, correct? Correct. There was Star Trek. It was just called Star Trek. Now it's Star Trek, the original series, so TOS, you might see it abbreviated. That was originally in the 60s. That's the one with uh, uh, James T. Kirk, uh, William Shatner, originally. Uh, so that was, that was actually a couple of decades before it got resurrected with Star Trek TNG, The Next Generation. And then after that, you also had Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and then uh, a lot of the newer properties that we're seeing pop up now. In continuity, Star Trek, the original series, was about 100 years or so-ish before TNG. So the next generation is a bit of a misnomer. It's not like Kirk's kids are off, um, you know, in space. Not that, you know, he had kids that uh, that went into Starfleet. But in any case, uh, it was about 100 years afterwards. So that was interesting because we got to see a lot of technology move forward as well. And, of course, the special effects and you know, just ideas about the future were different in the late 80s and in the 60s. So they got to play with those as well, 100 years into the future of the original mm-hmm. series. They had Kirk and Spock to begin with and then came up with TNG. What brought the resurrection back to say, let's try Star Trek again? Does I don't know specifically. I know uh, Roddenberry was involved in uh, TNG. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I mean, eventually he he passed away before the, the series ended, so he wasn't involved for all the Star Trek shows that were coming out. But um, but with TNG, he was very involved in the first few seasons. Um, so it was still his, I mean, he's the he's the original guy that created Star Trek. Um, Roddenberry? But, Roddenberry, yeah. Gene Roddenberry? Yeah. Yeah, and there, there had been a, a couple of movies of varying levels of success uh, before that, and they had actually tried, I believe, in the 70s to do a, a television series that would have been called Star Trek The Next Phase. And some of those scripts from the 70s were recycled when they actually brought back, when they started up the next generation in the 80s. Interesting. And so we're here tonight for TNG, for the focus, yep. the, the, yeah, next the Next Generation, with Picard. And I, I do recall that. With Picard, that's right. So how did you get involved with TNG? I, I remember when I was younger, it was on TV. My, my dad liked watching it, so... And, and this was before streaming services and, uh, well, before the internet was commercially available as well. So, um, so you know, if you want, want to watch something on TV, you sit down in front of the TV at 8 p.m. to watch something. Uh, so I remember it being on, and, and I enjoyed it back then, but it, it wasn't too impactful. And I think it was probably a little over a decade ago that I got back into it. And that was due probably to streaming services starting to come out where I I didn't have to, you know, go buy um, the DVDs set of it. I could watch it online. 
probably around 2007 to 2009-ish, I started to get back into it, do some rewatches. And then I've done um, some rewatches since. Adam, what's your history, if any, with Star Trek? Star Trek was on... I want to say Fox, maybe. Yeah. And yeah, so Fox it was, 29 and it was very difficult out in Holland to get that channel. So every so often I might try to pick it up and it, it just wouldn't come in. So that's a main reason I never got into the show. Every so often, maybe catch it. I, I know some of my family was involved. They'd watch it. And I, I have an aunt who's a big Trekkie fan. Watch it. I think she's a next generation and her husband's a fan too. At one point back in 2008, her and I went over to Germany and we met a friend. My aunt said to him at one point, your English is so good. Like, I'm just so impressed. And he said, oh, it's from watching Star Trek. I think he was TNG. And he also, so he was married at the time too. And his wife was a big fan of Deep Space Nine. Is that, or Voyager maybe? Um, it, it could be either of those. Yeah. The three of them were just going off. It was Oktoberfest in Germany and they're talking about Star Trek. And so I don't have a... That kind of sounds like heaven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's wonderful. So I don't have a ton of reference points with Star Trek, except maybe the newer movies by J.J. Abrams. Fletcher, for you, I mean, you watched it growing up. I actually started quite young watching reruns of the original series at, at some point they were on on Saturday mornings and then I was very into Star Trek probably after the the second season or, or around the third season is when I started watching them as they aired and I stayed in with the next generation through the end of its original air run and eagerly awaited each new episode. What makes Star Trek Star Trek? I think a lot of people recognize Star Wars at the moment. It's out there. It's been around for a while. Star Trek. I don't think it's a, a lesser franchise. I'm not saying that at all. Like, what are your themes that you or Chris, what do you guys think Star Trek that sets it apart? I think it's important to know that the history of Star Trek is mostly as a television series versus the history of Star Wars as a, as a movie franchise. And so you have a lot more hours, literally, of Star Trek. And so... I think you get more into some of the universe building and you get more into recurring themes and elements that, that make the show what it is. What's the promise of humanity or what does it mean to be human or sentient? What's the value of exploration and where as a species or as a culture should we be heading and, and where do we want to head? And I, I think it's nice because those are all themes that get revisited multiple times in multiple episodes. Yeah, I think on my end, there's two really, really big characteristics for Star Trek. And especially when you're comparing it to Star Wars, one is a the theme of exploration and kind of a, a hopefulness that ties into what you were saying about uh, where humanity is going. But but the theme of uh, hopeful exploration, I should say, uh, I mean, that that's the entire reason that the that humans are even out there making partnerships with other species and forming the Federation and just keep going. I mean, that's the, that's the crux of TNG. Uh, whereas with Star Wars, there's, there's really no, ex I mean, the, 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 the planets are known, ships are known, technology doesn't really seem to change too much. The known space doesn't really seem to change too much. Um, and, and that's not necessarily a hit against it. It's just, they, they have no interest in that. Um, there are unknown regions in Star Wars, but they're really not exploring those. I mean, there might be, you know, a few people out there that are doing that, but it was probably like fringe career moves. Um, but, you know, the Empire, the Alliance, no one really seems interested in, in meeting new species and exploring and, and opening up the, the global or the, the global, the, the galactic community, mm -hmm. um, as it were. Whereas in Star Trek, that's, that's the entire modus operandi of, um, of the Federation. Is it to boldly go? Is that Star Trek? Yes, that's Star Trek. Yes. That's my favorite phrase. 
uh, in the English language to boldly go. One of the reasons why I don't really mind split infinitives because my, my favorite phrase is a split infinitive. <laughs> That's the, the first one. And then the second one is uh, Star Trek really deals with ethical and moral questions more than Star Wars does as well. Mm. So I was, Star Wars has the light side and the dark side. And I think more recently an emphasis on some of the non-Jedi moral and ethical questions out there. But that's that's a bit more recent, and it's not really one of the driving forces of the franchise, whereas with Star Trek, that's a regular occurrence, where there'll be some kind of moral or ethical issue, whether within the within a ship, within dynamics, um, interacting with new planets or new species. It comes up a lot, and it really runs the gamut of all sorts of different philosophy. They're not just mm. about what moral, like what's what's the right thing to do, what's the wrong thing to do, but dealing with different kinds of situations. I remember a critique of the movies, the newer ones with J.J. Abrams, it wasn't so much of them solving their way out of a problem. I don't know if that was you. I guess I'm just curious if that's another thing of Star Trek where it's like they think their way through and it's not necessarily just like blasting their way through a problem. Star Trek very frequently is is about thinking through a, a problem or finding a new solution or, or a different approach to an issue as opposed to fighting your way out of a situation. I mean, there there are fights. Going back to some of what Chris had said, the premise of Star Trek is almost very utopian because the idea is that humanity has moved beyond its baser needs and impulses. We've found a way to meet all of our essential needs and we get along with one another for the most part and get along with a lot of other species. That's the Federation in Star Trek is the United Federation of Planets. And so it's a group of planets that have worked together and, and are sharing resources and cultural approaches and, and that sort of thing. Original series reboot movies are fun as action movies, but they don't have as much of that problem solving, transcending our baser selves. I agree. I mean, they're definitely good action movies, and I think they have decent characters in mm -hmm. them. The, and we already mentioned that the actors they got were, were pretty good. Oh, yeah. Um, but also the, the characters and the characterization and character arcs over the three movies, I think, were pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I agree. Outside of those two things, there's not too much of a classic Star Trek TV series, especially something like TNG or even the original series that is there. So they're not really—and it's hard to do in a movie format— yeah. Going back to what you said earlier, I think Star Trek really does work better as a TV show. What elements of Star Trek The Next Generation do you enjoy the most? I think I'll probably go back to just kind of Star Trek overall, the couple things I mentioned. So mm -hmm. the exploration aspect of it, I really like. And kind of along those lines, so we have this spaceship that's part of a federation, that's part of a Starfleet, and the crew, the bridge crew, so the main characters that we know about as well as the rest of the crew, they're out there exploring, that's their main mandate. But on the other hand, I really like how they identify both as explorers, and they kind of have that optimism, and they mm -hmm. just get psyched when they get to make first contact with a new oh, species, yeah. and they <laughs> discover new things. I mean, an episode will start, and they'll be measuring stuff from a pulsar, and you know, there's a lot of stellar cartography oh, and yeah. measurement of unusual <laughs> phenomenon. Tons. So they're simultaneously uh, explorers with all the action that comes with that and scientists, uh, <laughs> stellar cartography. <laughs> but they're also a military organization. They really emphasize it in the first couple seasons, mm -hmm. the, the rigid hierarchy of a military. They kind of drew back from it, I think, starting in season three. Which, I mean, it was still there, of course. It's still Starfleet. But I really like that about the show. 
and one of the aspects of it where you have this bridge crew, and I think it's really personified with Captain Picard, mm-hmm. where he can he can wax philosophical and he describes himself as an amateur archaeologist. He's fascinated by history, and he'd be happy sitting down at a table with a cup of uh, Earl Grey tea, hot, talking about some um, something from history, and he's equally comfortable in the middle of a tense battle with a bunch of other starships sitting on the bridge, making life or death decisions, not only for himself but his entire crew. So that kind of um, dichotomy with philosopher and also uh, battle tactician, I really mm-hmm. like about the show. And and I said Picard is one of the best examples of it, but really the entire crew, like that's what Starfleet is. It's part military, part exploration. I know that there are multiple episodes that have to do with either questioning commands or questioning orders or what to do if your ethical guides don't match up with the commands that you've received and some of the tension that comes between that. And I think it's something, too, where they don't always go for the simple answer. Yeah, I agree. There is um, a two-part episode, Chain of Command. Uh, That's one of the ones I was thinking of, yeah. (laughs) And I think that that shows it really really well. So in this episode, Picard and a few of the other ones go on this, um, this secret mission and the Enterprise gets a new captain in the meantime. And, uh, and that causes some strife. And you have Riker, who's the first officer on the ship, getting into conflict with the new captain. Uh, while, all, all the while, Picard and the, uh, the small secret away team are going about this stealth mission, which, I mean, anytime you start talking about stealth missions in a military, you, you kind of probably starting on ethical ground to begin with. Uh, and then that, that, that mission goes, goes very south for them and, and quite a bit of torture ensues. But, uh, and that's another thing. I mean, Picard, he's, he, he's all those things that I mentioned and he's also the kind of guy that can withstand torture by an alien species and still stay sane and stay who he is. So uh, That's a very memorable episode. Yeah. Those are some fantastic performances. There are four lights. So Captain Picard, is it Jean-Luc Picard? Yes. Played by the awesome Patrick Stewart. I think a lot of people know that. Who are some of the other characters in The Next Generation that are on this ship going out there exploring boldly? So going through the bridge crew, uh, the first officer is William Riker. He he was kind of cast and... Fletcher, correct me if I'm wrong, because you have better uh, production <laughs> knowledge, but I think he was cast to be kind of a Kirk analog of a, a brazen type character. The theory that I've heard is that when they were creating the next generation characters, they actually kind of split the Kirk character into two. So Picard got the the leadership qualities and the, the philosophizing, and Riker got the man of action characteristics. Got it. So yeah, you have uh, William Riker as a first officer, and then you have Deanna Troy as a counselor, which that that was interesting, because I don't think the original series had a counselor on the ship, but since this is an exploratory vessel with, I think it's around a thousand-ish people on it at any given time, um, and that includes crews and their families as well. So when you have a thousand people all in space in this spaceship all together, I suppose it does make sense that you need a counselor to mm-hmm. help deal with this. Uh, but she's also a member of the bridge crew, so she can take over the ship. And there were a couple episodes, um, character development on her where she needed to be in command of various situations and, you know, was kind of uncertain and then found out that she was up to it. So so she's still part of the, the kind of military Starfleet hierarchy. Um, she's um, a, a lieutenant, I think, or maybe lieutenant commander. And I think she might get a promotion or two throughout the series, but mm-hmm. um, but she's she's the counselor of the ship officially. Um, you have Lieutenant Worf as the security guy. That's the Klingon. So he's he's the guy with the, the ridge on his face. 
he's uh, he, he's kind of a fun character because he's you know Klingon straightforward, uh, battle centric, but he's a Klingon serving on a human ship. So mm-hmm. so they get to have some fun episodes uh, playing playing around with uh, with how he deals with that. You have Jordy LaForge. Yeah, um, the chief engineer. Chief engineer, LeVar, LeVar Burton. He, Reading Rainbow, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. He actually what didn't start off as a chief engineer. In, in season one, I think he was, I don't know if he was a bridge crew or if he was still in engineering. Yeah, he, he was part of the bridge crew in the first season. Yeah, And then he got promoted, so so good for Jordy. Yeah. Jordy, I, I like because he, he well, I mean, he's very competent, and from an engineering perspective, he, he helps solve a lot of the problems. But as a character, I also felt like he provided some, some comic relief. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there's this one episode where he creates this hologram of a different engineer, attractive woman around his same age. And, uh, and he created this hologram because he needed to solve this engineering problem. And, you know, she's, she's a real person, but she's the other side of, you know, she's a while away. So he created this hologram. Um, and then he ends up falling for this hologram and it's just a super awkward so uh, episode. That episode is booby trap. And the, the character <laughs> is Dr. Leah Brahms. And they, they actually revisit that in a really interesting way because, uh, I believe it's in another season he meets the actual person and his expectations based on the holograph of her do not meet up with his experience of the reality. That's right. She does come back or not back, but she actually comes to the enterprise herself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think that episode is actually more awkward than the first episode. (laughs) It's a very painfully (laughs) awkward one to watch. (laughs) And Jordy does have quite a few painfully awkward romantic or attempted romantic encounters. (laughs) He does. He had a visor or something he wore over yeah. his eye. What was that? Yeah, that was, so he's he's blind. Okay. And it's uh, uh, basically a way to let him see, but it's not seeing directly as if he had eyes or, well, he still has eyes. <laughs> um, it's not the same way as if he had working eyes. So he can see in various spectrums, I think. And and th- they use that a few times as well. Like he might be able to see something that others can't see mm-hmm. uh, because he can see into those spectrums. They might use the visor a few times, you know, like in situations where they're in trouble and that's a power source or something else. We also have Data, who's a very interesting character. So in the original series, you had Spock, who is a Vulcan, so very logic driven, uh, no emotion. Well, Spock is half human, half uh, half Vulcan, which is where you get some of that some dramatic drama or traumatic drama, dramatic conflict, <laughs> <laughs> I should say, um, going on. Whereas uh, in the new show, you have Data, who's an android. It's also very logical because he literally doesn't have the capability to have emotions. Uh, they're not built in, at least in the you know for the majority of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and he eventually gets uh, gets an emotions chip that comes into play. Uh, emotions uh, chip a little bit later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it does not go well at first when, when he when he gets that. You have Dr. Beverly Crusher as well. And I, I don't know, um, Fletcher is a longtime fan. I'm curious to get mm-hmm. your take. So I don't remember too much development with Crusher. So she, she started off as a, the, the medical officer. I think she mm-hmm. was a commander level. She ended as a commander level. There's that season where she was away. Right, um, yeah, uh, the uh, second season she's yeah, gone. Head of Starfleet Medical, and then she comes back to the ship. And there's some romantic tension between her and Picard that they get into a little bit here and there. But otherwise, I don't remember too much, too many like Beverly focused episodes or too much development of her character. Really until season six or seven, you don't see much of that at all. There was that one episode where uh, 
I think she's at her grandma's house. Yes. And there was a ghost that her grandma was hooking up with. It, it lives in a lantern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Space ghost lives in a lantern, hooked up with her grandma. Huh. It was a weird episode. It's a very strange episode. They're on like planet Scotland. It's, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's it wasn't... about as good as that uh, recap makes it sound. <laughs> I, I, you know, earlier I was about to make a point that Star Trek sounds more possible, but then you brought in the ghost. So I don't know if that, that holds up. As... <laughs> I guess when you've got a show going on for six, seven seasons, you try a lot of different things that maybe work and maybe don't. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Hope it goes well. That's very fair minded of you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I should bring up too, um, not, not a member of the core crew, but a recurring character who's my, probably my second favorite character on Star Trek, Q. So Q is a really interesting concept on the show, and I haven't seen it played out in too many other science fiction uh, entities. Mm-hmm. But Q is essentially a member of um, uh, of an omniscient, omnipotent race who just refer to themselves as the Q or the Q continuum. He, he's kind of like a like a jokester or a puck like character who comes and acts as a foil for the the members of the Enterprise. We first see him actually in the first the first episode. He puts the Picard and the Enterprise on trial for the crimes of all humanity. Wow! And that that was a really interesting. I, I guess spoiler warning for anyone who's plans to watch it season one through seven who hasn't yet. But <laughs> the the very last episode of the series at the end of season seven, you have Q coming back, and he was in a few episodes between then. But you mm-hmm. have him coming back, and he basically reveals that. Oh, this the, the the trial that you went on a while seven years ago that didn't end. That's been going on for the last seven years. So he's kind of been measuring everything that the Enterprise has been doing, and essentially everything that we've seen in the show was the continuation of the Q continuum evaluating humanity to see whether they might one day kind of evolve to the point where they might be more like the Q continuum, or maybe just you know be a species that the Q looks out for, or if they're just kind of the other violent species that grow up and then become extinct and then millions of years later there's a different species around so it's it was a really interesting way to use him and then when he comes in those episodes are always fun john delancey that plays him yeah. does just a fantastic job he, he really seems um to have fun with it and they do a lot of exploration of what human potential or or the value of human civilization is through the questions that q brings and and you get some interesting interpersonal things with him and Picard as well. He and Picard are key characters in one of my all-time favorite episodes, which is Tapestry. Again, short summary, it's it's almost like it's a wonderful life for Captain Picard. <laughs> he gets to go back and see what his life would have been like had he done things differently. It's interesting, too, because he comes away not without any regrets, but with a value for the mistakes or the foolish choices that he made because they made him into the person he becomes. Yeah, you get to see him in his youth, and he's he, he's basically super reckless. Mm-hmm. And, and they have, you know, some exposition lines about he's a, he's a star athlete, great combatant. He, he, he almost seems more like um, Captain Kirk at that point. If he sees danger, he's going to run directly at it. He's not going to ask what's going on in this dangerous situation. And he'll probably get away with it just because he's super confident and athletic and smart and all that. So it's interesting that we got to see that aspect of him as a young person. But it's also current Picard playing him. And, and Q kind of has this whole thing going on. And actually, that, that's one of, my, one of my favorite quotes from Star Trek, too, is 
this all started because there was this uh, away mission accident where Picard was injured. Um, so he's laying on a table being administered to by the doctors on the ship while all this is going on with Q in the background. Picard says, like, Q, what's going on? And Q says, oh, uh, the away mission went south. You're dead. And uh, Picard had a response. I don't know it exactly, but it was something along the lines of, uh, no, this isn't the afterlife. You're here. Uh, the universe isn't so poorly constructed. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that. <laughs> Well, and I, I think you see some interesting changes between the different series, too, where the Klingons were the, really one of the main enemies or the main enemy in Star Trek, the original series. And when you start the next generation, they're allied with the, the Federation. And so that's that's a big change to go from like, oh, this is the enemy who we're always either at war with or, or tense about to these are people who were on the same side now. And that relationship that relationship is still a bit fraught sometimes, but it gives you a chance to explore new enemies and new ways that humanity interacts with alien species. And maybe there's a hope that you don't always have to fight the people Mm -hmm. over and over. You can move beyond that. Well, and the big bad that you get for Star Trek, the next generation is really the Borg. And I think the Borg are a, are a fascinating enemy. What are they like? So the Borg are, uh, it, it's essentially a collective hive mind. And we learn more about them, not only through Star Trek Next Generation, but through the other shows as well. They're, they're a pretty pom- prominent uh, villain species in Star Trek Voyager, for example, and come up in some of the movies. Um, so we, we, we learn more about them, but, uh, but they're a collective hive mind that uh, assimilates other species. So they're not... Um, they don't want to, you know, it's not like the, the archetypal villain of I want to blow up the world. It's they want to assimilate everybody to be the same as them. So they um, they can essentially, uh, you know, walk up to you, plant some nanite probes into you, and then you they, they take over your psyche. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Voyager actually got into what happens and uh, to that person, that individual personality, whether it's gone, whether it's not. Um, so they, they, they played around with it a lot, but, um, but the Borg were, um, they were first brought in in TNG and, um, Picard especially has, uh, a pretty fraught relationship with the Borg. They, yeah. um, it was actually through Q that they, they met the Borg, uh, in one of the Q episodes. He, um, I forgot why, but him and Picard got into a fight where Picard's like, we don't need you. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're, uh, you know, we've been exploring for hundreds of years. Humanity Starfleet has, and, um, and we don't need it. And Q says, you don't know what's out there, so let me show you. So then he flings the starship a couple thousand light years away to where the Borg are, and they encounter the Borg, and they just get they, they get their asses handed to them. It goes very poorly. And then Q brings them back, and they're like, oh, uh-oh, there's this villain out there. And then eventually the villain, the, the, the Borg do reach Federation space and become an issue, and, um, and they even assimilate, uh, again, uh, Spoiler warning, in case yeah. anybody hasn't seen it yet, but but they actually assimilate Picard. Um, for uh, it's a, it's a two part episode, um, and it's it's probably one of the best episodes. Oh, of definitely. Out there. Yeah. yeah, it's a season cliffhanger. Yeah. Oh, and that's back when season cliffhangers wasn't. Yeah, that that was like. Uh, As somebody watching months. at the time, that was really hard. I had to wait an entire <laughs> summer to find out what happened. Oh man. Yeah, that was that was big. So um so the Picard's crew 
has to go rescue him and, and defeat the Borg. Meanwhile, the Borg, since they assimilated Picard, um, they get all of his memories and Starfleet knowledge and um, his tactical knowledge. And, and one of the reasons why they had him, so he wasn't just a mindless drone. He was still under their control, but um, but he had, like, he had a name, for example. He was Locutus, not just a Borg number, which they normally have, like uh, Seven of Nine, who's a, who's actually a different character. But um but he had a name and, and a little bit, and they said um, we wanted to adapt uh, kind of like one of the one of the preeminent people of this species, so that we can use that knowledge to assimilate the rest of the species. So they kept him a little bit uh, independent, and then his crew had to to rescue him, uh, thwart the, the the plot against Earth that the Borg were, were heading towards. Um, and there was also that's where we had the Battle of uh, Wolf Three Five Nine. Yeah. Uh, which was a huge part of Star Trek canon. Um, you had you had an armada of Starfleet ships amassed against this this one Borg cube, which is how their ships look, and um, and the Borg cube just decimated. I mean, this was like dozens, if not hundreds, of Starfleet vessels um, just got decimated, and and that was referenced in other shows, and that that was a big point as well that that the Borg were such a threat, and then the when the Enterprise catches up to it, they managed to to, to kind of. Um, I think it was more like sabotage, mm-hmm. um, you know, get Captain Picard back and sabotage the sh- the, uh, the ship and blow it up. But um, actually, uh, Ben Sisko, who's the the captain and one of the main characters in Deep Space Nine, his origin story was Wolf 359. Um, it was in that battle that he managed to escape, him and his son managed to escape, but his wife actually died. Um, and, and that's that's how Deep Space Nine starts up with him still dealing with that. So I think one of the interesting things about having the Borg as the enemy is that it brings up some of those themes of the importance of individuality and autonomy and, and personal identity in Star Trek and how important that is to the characters and how important self-determination is to the, the characters and Picard in particular. In The Best of Both Worlds, part one and part two, when he's taken over by the Borg and becomes Locutus and, and doesn't have control over himself and is, is used as a tool of the enemy against his own people. During the episode that's kind of dealt with matter-of-factly, it's it's obviously a sort of tension and, and drama that the enemy has him and he's eventually rescued by by our heroes. But it's in the the following episode, Family, where you explore how damaging and terrifying that experience was to him. Yeah, I really like that they followed it up with Family. Uh, And that episode, so with the the two-parter, best of both worlds, you get a lot of action. These are space battles and starships with literally the fate of humanity hanging in the balance. And then right afterwards, the episode Family is... Picard on his family's vineyard in France with his cantankerous older brother <laughs> and his brother's family. Uh, and, and he goes there on a bit of sore leave to, to deal with what he just went through. So we have this juxtaposition of um, high-flying adventure and drama and huge stakes to just a man who's with his family that he hasn't seen in, uh, in a long time and that he doesn't get on the best of terms with mm-hmm. on Earth, not even in a spaceship. Um, De- dealing with this, so the fact that uh, that he deals with it by talking to his family and um, resolving some of those issues, um, and and what his brother can say to him, and, and his brother he, he, uh, Picard has a nephew as well who he, he he's rather fond of. So yeah, I thought that was a that was a great follow up, especially with what you were saying, where with the Borg you get one's identity stripped away. 
mm-hmm. and that identity has things like, I mean, it, you know, it's it, from family and from where he came from um, to get to the point where he is this Starfleet captain and commanding a crew battling for the fate of all humanity that he started off in this, this vineyard in France. I, I wonder, I wonder what you two think of the thought, you know, I mentioned earlier where my aunt and I like, you know, went overseas and she connects with these people from Germany and they're just talking about Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes have wondered if you say you like Star Wars, like, oh, I like Star Wars. You make a chewy voice, Chewbacca or something. <laughs> but when you, like Trekkies, it seems like there's maybe more of a collegial, like, oh, you watch, which one did you watch? I watched this one. I don't mm-hmm. know. Do you think there's, do you find that at all? That when you meet up with other people and you just randomly find they like Star Trek, do you just delve right into it and it's a great thing? Because I don't see that happening as much with some other media. I find that a lot of people who grew up on Star Trek, it played a, a very formative role for them in their personal morality and their expectations for how people should treat each other. I'd say yes to your question. And one of the reasons I think is with Star Wars, uh, well, I mean, there, there are a few shows out now like The Mandalorian or Clone Wars, but mostly it's the, the big blockbuster movies that most people see anyway. So it's a lot easier to say, oh, yeah, I've seen and liked Star Wars without really being like a Star Wars nerd where you'd want to talk about it ad nauseum with, with somebody if you encounter them. <laughs> Whereas with Star Trek, it is more along those lines where you do need to have some level of investment with it uh, to consider yourself a Trekkie or a Star Trek fan. Um, you need to watch, as Fletcher said, uh, there, there are, there's a lot more hours of Star Trek. So you need to uh, commit to a lot of those hours to get to that point where you would want to talk to people and consider yourself a Trekkie when you meet them. So I think just because of the the difference in the media, um, there, a little bit of a different in, difference in the fan base too, between Star Wars and Star Trek. That's kind of cool. I know I've enjoyed, you know, when I see, I would pick on my aunt occasionally for being a Trekkie because if you met her, she's not someone at all you would think who enjoyed Star Trek. Yeah, and then just there's been a couple other times where she's come across someone and they'll find out they both like Star Trek. And I, I think you brought up a great point about the movies and investment time, Chris, where it's, yeah, you put some time into it and then all of a sudden you meet someone who did as well you like, let's chat about it, you know. Let's share our fun memories of, you know, Picard or one of, one of the other shows, I guess. Now, Chris, if you were talking to somebody who was interested in getting into TNG, what one or two episodes would you recommend they start out with? That's an interesting question. So I'm, I'm a bit of a purist when it comes to watching a show. Mm-hmm. I like to watch it from beginning to end. And... I mean, there have been a few shows that I've started and haven't finished if it's just really bad or not what I expected, but not many. So so I I would like to say start with season one, episode one of TNG. Um, and that, I'd say watch that episode. So that's the, I mean, you have Q, which mm-hmm. I, I really like Q. So you get this idea of um, of really the the ex the exploratory part of Star Trek where they encounter this omnipotent, omniscient being who can do any, I mean, he could snap his fingers and have the entire crew wiped away. Um, he's like Thanos, if Thanos could do whatever he wanted all the time. Um, so you get this, you, you get that, plus you get this, um, I mean, they're exploring um, a, a space station out, out in the, on the fringes. Uh, you get a good introduction to the characters. Um, Riker doesn't have his beard yet, which is unfortunate, but <laughs> I mean, we can't change, can't change that. Uh, so I'd say watch the very first episode after that. I'd say if you wanted to skip 
um, season one, mm-hmm. go ahead. Um, especially, I mean, and, and I understand, you know, from a time perspective that it's a lot of content. So I'd say watch ep- season one, episode one, and then um, maybe a few episodes in season two that are standouts. I think season two really got a few, I mean, it wasn't, you know, the best season overall, but it, I think that was the season where we really got some, I, some I think good episodes. Measure of a Man, which is the, the pretty much a, it's a courtroom episode where they're having a trial to decide what Data's rights are, you know, if he is able to decide his own destiny as a sentient being or if he is equipment that belongs to the Federation. I think that's a very interesting episode and one of the one of the early standouts. So I would say, yeah, if, if you're skipping much of the, the first season or two, don't skip Measure of a Man. I agree. Um, that that episode we actually watched in my philosophy of science class in college. Um, philosophy was one of my majors, and uh, I remember that stood out. It was, I mean, it was a good class overall. It wasn't uh, like this didn't occur in a lazy. We're just going to watch films during this class kind of scenario. Uh, it was a good professor, good discussions, good students in the class. But for one of the for one of them, we did actually watch Measure of a Man that episode. Um, and then, and then I had a few discussions on it afterwards. So yeah, I completely agree. Um, also, the episode Q Who, which mm-hmm. is in season two, that's the first time, so I mentioned it previously, but that's the first time that we, uh, we encounter the Borg um, when Q sends him that way. So I'd say that, that would be a good one in season two as well. That's, that's really where um, Picard and the crew of the Enterprise, who for the most part are upstanding characters and really do their job well. And I mean, we've talked about the characters a bit throughout this podcast. But um, but that that's where we see a bit of their arrogance come into play, where they they were very confident in their ability, their own ability and their ship's ability to explore, and then they get they see this enemy who's not too far away that they have no chance against. But after that, um, and again, this is it, it depends how much time you have. Um, Ideally, I'd say go out and watch all seven seasons. <laughs> but uh, but if you're going to jump around, um, there are there are a lot of good lists out there. Um, just Google best Star Trek TNG episodes, and you can probably get a good like ten or twenty to watch. Um, the the character development uh, you, you have, and this is you know as we mentioned, a, a show from the '80s or '90s, so it is more episodic. You don't really have too many season-long arcs that that come into play like you do with some streaming shows nowadays. Um, So I'd I'd say if you skip around, you probably won't miss too much. You're not going to be like, oh, this person's dating this person now or (laughs) or anything like that. Other than, you know, Riker growing a beard. They don't really change in appearance too much either. Um, So yeah, I'd I'd say um, um, there are definitely some really good episodes out there and it it would help to watch them in order um, if you're going to skip around, um, you know, watch a few per season as you go. And I think you'd get a good, pretty good um, feeling for what Star Trek's like. I will say too, there are a few episodes. So we, we've talked about or covered a lot of the, my favorite episodes and good episodes overall. A few other ones I wanted to call out. So there's one in season six called Starship Mine. Um, that's a really good Picard episode. The, the, it's, it's kind of a- uh, Die hard on the Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's a great way to put it. Um, the Enterprise is having this uh, uh, basically like space fumigation. Um, so the entire crew is off um, on a star base. Picard gets trapped on the ship and finds out that there's some there's some thieves who, who want to steal stuff from the ship or um, 
and that. So, so then he has to defeat them. And he's the captain. He knows the ship inside and out. So, so we get to see Picard in action, outwitting these thieves and using the Enterprise to do it. Um, die hard in space. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a fantastic episode. That's a lot of fun. Yes, I really like that. Um, another season six episode, which I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say is you know, one of the top 10 or anything, but rascals, um, due to, uh, <laughs> I think it was a transporter malfunction, but, um, but a few of the crew members come back as children. So it was just <laughs> knowing Picard and how, how much of a, a grown up he is. Um, just to see him as a kid is, is a lot of fun. That is a fun episode. It, it's humorous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Fletcher, were there any other standout episodes that you can think of that, that we haven't talked about yet? Darmok is one of my favorites. It's about communication. They in Star Trek they have this device which is very useful, the the universal translator. So almost every alien race they can communicate with pretty well. But there's this alien species that they've encountered and I guess they've encountered multiple times, but in the episode Darmok they're trying to communicate with these people and they they just cannot they can understand the words but not the the meaning or the context and so picard and the captain of the alien ship end up on a planet together and through working together in some trial and error picard learns to understand that their entire um i almost don't want to give it away um <laughs> yeah Spo- spoiler warning yeah uh spoiler warning their their language is much more based on analogies and metaphors and this shared understanding of, of mythology uh, than on direct speech. And so they learn that, but it involves some sacrifice. Hmm. And it's, it's fun because watching that episode, you go from not being able to understand what the aliens mean at all to at the end, everything that they're saying is making sense. Yeah, that, that actually, that, that was a really good episode. And, um, there's a good amount of uh, memes out there for Dharma oh, and Jalad. Yes. <laughs> at Tanagra? Yes. At Tanagra, <laughs> when the walls fell. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, if you're into Star Trek and you've seen that, I, I definitely recommend uh, Googling Dharma and Jalad memes. Oh, yes. Um, there's, there's some quality ones out there. One of them is um, it's shaped like a, like a presidential bumper sticker. But instead of, the, you know, the first name and the second name, you just have Dharma and Jalad, Picard's <laughs> face, and... Uh, the, the other guy's face. I've seen one where it looks like a band tour shirt as well. <laughs> oh, very nice. Kirk or Picard? Who are you picking? Oh, for me, it's Picard all the way. Yeah, I, I'm going Picard too. There's just so much. And it, earlier, as I was saying, how you simultaneously have the, the historian and philosopher, and then you also have the the battle commander who just comes off as, as supremely badass in a lot of different situations. Um, that's that's pretty great, and and I, choosing Picard, I'm not taking anything away from Kirk. Kirk's a great character, and I think especially in the the reboot movies, um, Chris Pine played him really well, and they presented him really well. But um, but yeah, definitely Picard all the way. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Enthusiasts Guild. You can subscribe and hear all our episodes through your podcast player of choice. Find us on Facebook at The Enthusiasts Guild, on Twitter at Enthusiast Guild, or contact us at TheEnthusiastGuild at gmail.com.
Our music this episode is Lost Frontier by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, used under a Creative Commons license.